right. Let's turn to the next part of today's program, and that is a, a, a excerpt from our Saturday morning program, Lion Rockers. Now, for those of you who, who, who listen regularly may know that I have another show every Saturday morning at 8.30. But for those of you who don't, it's okay. I hope you're able to make some time to tune in or even better, visit the archive or the podcast to, to re-listen or to revisit uh, some of the other guests that I've had on. So last week, I got this chance to sit down with Christine Lowe, the former Undersecretary for the Environment. Now, you may know Christine in her various capacities here in Hong Kong, serving our community, from being a politician, a legislator, to having her own think tank, Civic Exchange. And of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Undersecretary, a former Undersecretary for the Environment. Now, in Line Rockers, we get the chance to sit down uh, with, with some of these familiar voices of Radio 3, where we talk a little bit more about their childhood and also about what the Lion Rock spirit means to them and how it's helped them overcome challenges uh, in their life. So in this excerpt, which you're about to hear, she talks a little bit more about uh, the profound impact of motherhood and, and of course, a little bit more about her earlier days of being a student and a little bit more about her family. My mother's generation, my mother is in her 80s, by the way. So when she was working, starting in her 20s, she and her three sisters, all very glamorous, and their friends, um, many of them were working. And so for me to watch my mother, you know, having to get ready, dress up every day and go to work uh, was the norm. What did she do for a living? Well, as I said, she was uh, very beautiful and very glamorous. She was the men address of the Lane Crawford uh, beauty department. Whoa. So she was the manageress who sat behind the desk that overlooked, you know, the makeup department, the perfumery, and I think they also had sort of uh, girly accessories and things there. So she had to look glamorous for work as well. Well, that's right. That's part right. Of the job. She was part of the job. She looked the part. <laughs> she looked the part. What about your dad? What did he do for a living? Um, my mother is Cantonese. She comes from a, a very long time Hong Kong family. My father came from Shanghai, so he was part of the um, uh, the big group of Shanghainese that came to Hong Kong in the late 40s and the 50s. And uh, he wanted to be a doctor because he was studying medicine uh, in Shanghai. But coming to Hong Kong meant he had to disrupt his studies. So he became a cotton merchant. So he was part of the Shanghainese textile gang, you could say. And then for your own journey, you then went to the UK to study law. What was that experience like leaving Hong Kong and then moving to the UK? Well, actually, a lot of things happened in between. Uh, I think my parents were also the first generation of Hong Kong Chinese to separate and divorce. So they separated when I was six years old. Uh, both of them remarried uh, eventually. My mother married a Danish gentleman, so he became the father who brought me up. I was maybe around 10 at the time. And um, so I was then uh, exported. Uh, when I was a very young teen to study in the UK and I stayed there for my legal studies yeah. before coming back to Hong Kong. What was it like to grow up in a sort of multicultural blended family? Um, I didn't realize it so much at the time because I think when you're growing up in something, you know, they're just your family. And, and, and I was young. I didn't have the facility to really think about it. And my father being Danish, my mother being 
uh, Chinese from Hong Kong. And in those days, mixed marriages were few and far between. And you had the British who were the part of the, the, the colonial society, if I, if I can call it that, and these others. Uh, I found that they were Chinese or overseas Chinese or they were Southeast Asians or they were people from Europe and America, but the people from even the UK who were not part of the colonial structure, um, they were all what I call les autres, right? They were yeah. the others. So this was the emigre, uh, the non-Chinese emigre kind of group, right, that hung together. My parents, um, they were and they still are. They, they love having parties. And we were fortunate to have uh, a place to live in that was large enough to have guests around all the time. So I remembered as a child, it was sort of party dinners and parties after dinners and parties. What a busy childhood. What were you like as a student then? Crap, <laughs> right? I was crap. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't very ambitious. I mean, I knew I wasn't dumb and um, I knew I could kind of get things done, but I, I was a daydreamer. And it's quite interesting looking back at my old reports, um, sort of kept them. And, you know, they'd say things like, uh, uh, she's very chatty in class, meaning, you know, shut up, kid. Uh, or that, you know, she could do much better. It was, you know, years and years of that kind of report. Um, my father, this is my own father, um, he said to me when I was very young, he, he set a really low bar. He just said, look, whatever you do, don't repeat the class. Right? And I took that to mean, actually, it's really hard to kind of fail so miserably that you have to repeat a class. So I'm afraid my, my ambition was rather low at the time. And so I expected you to say you were really sort of hardworking and studious. Not at all. Wow, that's interesting. But then you studied law. So you, you're really bright to have, you know, chosen such a hard subject. So then when did you sort of find that passion to study? Well, I'm afraid it doesn't happen like that. In fact, I didn't want to go to university. I sort of thought, well, you know, uh, I could probably get a job or something. And I ended up so-called taking a year off because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And my parents suggested that uh, maybe I should go and intern somewhere. And I ended up interning with a law firm at the time called Johnson Stokeson's Master because there was a family friend and he says, well, why don't you come and see if you want to be a lawyer? So that's how I really started. I turned up as a really a useless intern. Uh, but I thought law was quite interesting. And eventually my mentor, um, Peter Thompson, he was a shipping lawyer at uh, Johnson Stokes and Masters at the time. He sort of said, look, you should go to university. So that's how I ended up back in the UK to uh, study law. Yeah. And did you enjoy your time in the UK when you were studying law? Um, I did. Actually, I think that was the blossoming of my more intellectual side. And because I was always kind of quite average, right? And I was quite happy being average. I found that when I was at university doing law, that I, I wasn't bad at it. And um, I kind of felt, oh, well, maybe if, uh, um, uh, maybe I could make it, right? Maybe I could do well. And then on the last day of university, so we got our grades and I thought, well, I did pretty well. I was very, you know, huh, feel so good about this. Uh, but when I went to say goodbye to my supervisor, uh, who taught uh, company law, gosh, he really laid into me. 
I thought he was going to say, well done, Congratulations. Christine, you know, go off and have a great happy life. And he, he said, you know, you, re- you really just didn't nearly work hard enough. You could have done even better, but you kind of just floated along. And that really shocked me. I thought I was doing pretty good. I thought I was working pretty hard. But then here is somebody I respected, and he laid into me. So I kind of walked out of his room, you know, tail between my legs, thinking, oh, that's really bad. So actually, that really shook me up. And, and really, from then onwards, I always asked myself, have I, have I worked hard enough? So I think that was a turning point in my life. Well, I'm sure he's really proud of all your achievements oh, I don't now. Know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've worked in so many different areas, you know, law, business, politics, government, nonprofit, and academia. What is it that motivates you to keep learning and just evolving in so many different areas? Well, there are so many things that I thought I would never be interested in, that once I kind of had to do it or I got into it, that actually there was a lot to learn. So that's a curious bit about myself. It doesn't seem to matter what, I, what job I got you know, or what task I was given in a job, that once I get into it, I, I get fascinated. So it doesn't matter whether, and you know, when I was in politics and I, I was appointed member of LegCo, so it wasn't something I fought for. It was something that came across my desk and I grabbed it, right? I said, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll go into LegCo. And then all these policies, all these things that I never thought about, you know, how did they come about? Why, did, why are we where we are today? What are the solutions? So I got fascinated and I spent a lot of time trying to understand stuff. Yeah. Looking back at your career, while well, you're still working, which area did you enjoy the most, knowing what you know now? Or was it just different stages of your life that you, you, you liked those things? Um, I think there were many moments that were enlightening. So uh, my Cantonese wasn't good when I first came back to Hong Kong um, because I wasn't really ever formally educated in Chinese. So when you get into the public sector, when I was in LegCo, and in those days, uh, there was still a lot of English um, in LegCo. But as you approach 1997, obviously, we wanted to speak more Cantonese. And since I decided I'd run an election, Probably the hardest thing I had to do was to force myself to speak Cantonese without using any English words. I just had to do it because I had to debate. And everybody was saying, oh, look at this Guaymui, you know, doesn't know her Chinese very well. And uh, I just had to fight that. That was probably the most difficult thing I did in my life. But I'm very, very glad. My Cantonese is actually pretty good nowadays. It is. You know, you did so many, you know... uh press conferences when you were under secretary and you only spoke in Cantonese. And that's well, well, I had already fought my yeah. battle. Uh, um, Come a long way. Right, right. And then, of course, um, I learned uh, Mandarin more formally um, between, um, how shall I put it, after I finished my law degree and before I started my first job, I actually spent eight months full-time learning Mandarin. So, and then again, you know, um, forcing myself to do better because my my foundation in Chinese is not as strong as my foundation is in English because I was formally educated in English. And there are so many different uh, slangs and, you know, way of speaking and so on. And so, nuances. And, well, yeah. actually, I'm very fascinated with language. I, yes. I'm interested in how people communicate, what words we want to choose. 
um, and how people express themselves. And politics is very much about communication. The first thing, you know, because my, my language ability was not very strong, I always sought to at least be very clear. And I find that's actually a, a, a great way to train yourself. You know, at least people understood what you were saying. You can't use very uh, elegant language, but they understood you. And in some ways that's better because it's straight to the point and perhaps that's what aided you to move across so many sectors because you were so clear. Well, maybe. And I think the other thing was I discovered that actually I was very interested in people. You know, I find all kinds of people very fascinating. Now, some were very annoying. um, Some were very lovely. But, you know, when you're in public office, you have to deal with all kinds of people. And that was also a huge education. How did you maintain your composure or how did you maintain your cool? Because it's a very hot kitchen in politics. Well, I think you just learn to. The other thing, running an election, there's nothing like running an election. You know, you have to go and and ask people to support you, right? To ask them to show up at the ballot box and vote. That's actually not easy. And I had to uh, be just as friendly with the... Uh, the cleaners uh, on on you know on the roadside. As for the millionaire, it's all one vote, uh, and I need them all. Yeah, wow, that's a good way to look at it. What about when you were in government or as a politician? What was how did you sort of deal with differences, and how do you yeah how do you deal with so many sort of different forces? Well, that was another really fascinating thing. But I I think when you're in professional work. Um, maybe take out the emotional side about whether you like something or you agree. You don't have to agree on everything. But, you know, as uh, a legislator, I was there to serve and I developed certain, um, you could say, expertise and interests in certain issues like the environment, equal opportunity, and I learned a lot about them. And when I was in government, well, I was there to do a job. I wanted to improve the environment. And you actually need to you know, work with a whole big bunch of people. There were those that were around the office, right, people in government, they were difficult enough. And then there were lots of people on the outside, there were vested interests, there were other LegCo members who disagreed with uh, our preferences. So it was a very complex, moving kind of jigsaw piece all the time. But if you are focused on what it is that you want to get done, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. I mean, that takes you a long way, actually, because people recognize that you were willing to put a lot of other things aside because you were very focused on what you want to achieve. People respect that. And I think, yeah, people respect you. And I think you have all sorts of um, friends and people in different circles. Now, you know, I'm going to preface this question by saying I ask this to my male guests as well. I don't want to get flamed by by the listeners. Um, but as a working mom, how do you balance, how do you juggle your private Um, family life and such a busy workload? Bad. Badly. I was hoping to take a leaf out of your book or something. No, no, it's really, really hard because um, I I am a kind of cerebral type, you know, because I want to drill down into understanding something. And I've also done quite a lot of writing, books and so on. And all that takes tremendous concentration. That means when you're doing that thing, you're taking time away from your family. And it's worse for uh, the partner and the child, obviously. So I think I owe my daughter uh, quite a lot. Um, uh, I I mean, if I were to live my life again, uh, knowing who I am and what my mental makeup is like, I'd probably be relatively similar. 
You know, so there's no perfect answer. What advice would you give to your younger self, or what advice would you give to yourself if you were to meet yourself? Mm. Um, I think I might say to myself, um, uh, do the things that you really like. But I've learned something. I learned I really love my daughter. You know, it's um, she's 18 years old now, and you know, watching her grow up, examining and feeling that sense of being a mother, um, watching just watching her go through. You know, kids go through good and bad periods, right? And just how lovely they are. And I learned from her friends as well, watching her playing with other kids. And then now, of course, all these kids are 18, 19, 20 years old. They are amazing. Um, so they've given me something that I don't think I would know if I didn't have a child. Does she know how much you've achieved? Does she know that, you know, how cool you are or like, you know, you're a good role model to her? Oh, I, I, I don't you, know. Just mom. You know, it's it's it's... I always think, you know, whatever you are, and and um, you could be, you know, you could be the governor or the a president rock star, or sure, a rock star, sure. but your kids are just going to look at you and say, come on, mom, you know, they're going to look at all your faults. They're the ones who really take you Not down. Not the things that you've achieved. Or, oh, but, yeah. You know, they don't pay attention no, to those things, right? Uh, they, they, so I think that also wakes you up. Yeah. Not everybody is going to look at the things that you're kind of really into. So just chill out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so finally, uh, what are some of your hobbies? What do you do for fun? Okay, I have some habits, and they are part of my daily life that is really important. Oh, I like that. You say habits, not just hobbies. Habits, not okay. just hobbies, because I can only do hobbies and work if I could get the habits right. I need a lot of sleep. I love sleeping. I'm a morning person. I can get up at five o'clock and do amazing things. But, you know, as it gets later in the day, I get worse. So I think I'm someone who always needs a day cycle. And um, I, I like lying around. And my nickname in a family is slug. <laughs> you know, my, my daughter always said, well, you know, my mother's really a slug. So they'll, they'll see me. animal. Well, they'll kind of see me. Uh, flopped out on a chair and you know well that's the slug look and I really really enjoy it now but if I were to have more time and do the things that I really like um, I would like to go and look at more arts um, I like the theater I like music you know all that really energizes me in a very completely different way because I do very kind of cerebral things um, that's how I get in touch with the human spirit, the human condition, stuff that helps me to, you know, recognize deeper feelings. Yeah. And finally, Christine, if you could share a song with our listeners that's of significance to you of, of any time of your life, what song would it be? I really have to think about it because at different stages in my life, I've listened to so many different types of songs. And uh, if I were to think about you know, the lovesick puppy when you are kind of teenager in your early 20s, some guys just dumped you. Uh, I listened to Elton John, you know, your song. Yes. I used to love that. And I, I also like a lot of choral work. Um, and uh, I know this is a bit depressing. I like requiems. 
Um, you know, so uh, and I also like the Bach music, which go da 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 da. You know, and that kind of perks me up. So there are many different things that I like, yeah. but I have to choose one for you, I think, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. I'm, I'm seeing the cogs turning. Yeah, in your head right yeah. Now. I'm kind of thinking something that I've listened to over and over again. Um, over the course of time, but let me give you my weepy, heartbroken teenager. Gosh,、uh, some guy just dumped me. Your song, Elton John. Christine, it's a terrific choice, and I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for chatting with us today.